Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Awesome, awesome. All right, so, you know, I just wanted to quickly share this before I get into it. You know, we, we go into a series of, of prayer, and the, the Holy Spirit just showed me something this morning, and He showed me that God is speaking. The Holy Spirit is working. He's speaking to every single one of us here. He's at work, and, uh, and that's always been the case, but it's so cool getting into the series now about prayer, because it's not just about hearing, it's about making it a two-way conversation, about getting to that intimacy with our relationship with God. And so, uh, and John kicked off the series last week, and it was a really, really awesome series. Who was here for it? Okay, the rest of you, go online, go download it, go listen to it. It was such a brilliant, brilliant introduction to the series, such truth spoken. Um, I kind of went over three of the points that I really took home for it the other day, and I wanted to bring them up because... It kind of ties into, into my sermon today, and I think that's going to be true throughout the series. Uh, each one is just going to tie into the other one. So, so John brought a whole bunch of nuggets to us last week, but the, there were three that I took away from that I really liked. And the first one is that prayer is essential to our walk with Jesus. Okay, it is essential. It's not something they're like, ah, well, you know, take it or leave it. Maybe today, maybe not. You know, it is essential. He, he used the analogy of filling up a, a car with gas. And that we all have tanks, they all get emptied, we all got to fill them up. And that the right fuel is spending time in conversation with God, in prayer with God. Not all the other fuels that we tend to go to. And the second point that, that I thought was just profound that John brought to us was the fact that prayer is such a privilege. And that not everyone has that privilege. In fact, in scripture we see that the demons are not even allowed to converse with Jesus. He just tells them to be quiet. But with us, he invites us into that intimacy. And then the third one, which is one which I really hope to build on today with, uh, with, with the scriptures that we're going to be looking at, is the fact that we should not be praying as Gentiles. And John said that praying as a Gentile doesn't mean that you're using lots of word in Babylon. Praying as a Gentile means praying as someone who doesn't know God. But we do know God. We get to pray as people that are known by God and who know God, and that is huge. And so like I said, uh, I really am hoping to, to build on that as we enter into the text of the Lord's Prayer, okay, which starts with our Father who art in heaven, or in NIV, our Father in heaven. I like the who art in because it just rings in my mind, right? I've been hearing that from when I was a little boy. And, uh, and I actually wanted to talk about that a little bit because... That's a line that just kind of rolls off my tongue effortlessly. I don't even think about it. Our Father and Art in Heaven, it just comes across as something that I've heard my whole life, which is cool. Like, I'm glad that people know Scripture and that it's a common thing and it's out there. But we also run the risk, right? When we hear something again and again and again and again, that it's kind of like, yeah, heard that before. And you kind of become callous to it. become a little bit desensitized to it. And that's not just true for Scripture. That's true for everything, Right? If we get exposed too much to anything too long, you become desensitized to it. We might say this to our kids, you know, about the stuff that they watch on TV or social media. You know, watching too much of bad stuff from Hollywood might make us desensitized to things like violence, sex, nudity, foul language. What are the other ones that, you know, go to common sense media, they'll tell you, okay? But we can become desensitized to it. And, you know... That's me to some degree. I love my action movies. Give me a good action movie any day. Miriam will generally go do something else. But I love it, okay? But if I'm honest with you, 
I've come quite desensitized to violence. Remember, I was going, oh, oh, no, I can't, can't watch it. I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, I mean, you, and it's affected me. You know, a little funny story. For Christmas, I got given a pump-action shotgun. It's called a bug assault rifle. It shoots salt. And I load that thing up, and Miriam loves it because I'm in the kitchen. She's trying to prepare food. I'm like, ah, go on, next one, load. And I'm just going around like John Wick on steroids, killing every fly that I see. But, but seriously, guys, there, there is a truth about that. We, we don't want to become desensitized. We don't want to become casual. We don't want to just look over Scripture flippantly, okay? Every single word given to us in the Bible is God-breathed and is there for our edification. So I want to slow down a little bit today and look at that. You know, our Father in art in heaven sounds like an address. Send to John Anderson, North Riding, 2169. Are you guys impressed I know the area code? Okay. All right, but it's like this address, right? Um, but it is so much more than that, okay? So, so let's look at it. So our Father is the first line. Jesus opens up with those two words, our Father. So right off the bat, Jesus is saying, guys, it's not just a Father. He's not just my Father. He's our Father. And he invites the disciples into that intimacy with God the Father. Okay? So, so that is the first point that I wanted to make over here. And, you know, I was giving it some thought. And uh, I thought, you know, we've got to think about this in context of the time. Realize when, when Jesus is saying this to the disciples, the New Testament hasn't been written yet. All they have, as far as Scripture goes, is the Torah and the teachings that they receive from the Torah. Okay? And so I went to Google and I thought, how many times is God referred to as Father? And then I thought, how many times is he referred to as the Lord your God? Okay? So I looked that up, and Google tells me, and we know Google's always right, that in the Old Testament, that title, the Lord your God, is listed over 150 times. That is how the Israelites would have referred to God. And then I thought, well, I wonder how many times God is referred to as Father in the Old Testament. And Google said anything between 2 and 15, didn't get a straight answer there. So I pulled out my concordance. Now, I didn't look up every scripture because there were quite a few. But kind of going through it, I could find two. Maybe there's more, could have missed them, okay? But both those scriptures in the Old Testament that refers to God as Father are found in the book of Jeremiah. All right, coincidentally, it is Jeremiah who is the one who tells us that God is going to make a new covenant. He's going to make a better covenant with man. And he shows us of things to come. All right, so that being said, when, when we see that Jesus says to Stop, listen, guys, I want you to call God your father. That was a, that was a, it was a big deal. It wasn't flippant. We kind of used to that here. We, we talk about God as our father all the time, and we're sort of used to it. But in that culture, it really wasn't a done thing, Okay. And I can say this not because it's my opinion, because we actually see it in Scripture. There was a time that Jesus referred to God as his Father, and they wanted to kill him for it, right? If you want to see it, go to John chapter 5, and we're going to be reading from verses 17 to 18. So this is a story of when Jesus heals the paralytic at the pools of Bethesda. I always have to think about the pronunciation of that. All right, but the story goes, if you know it, that there's this paralytic man who has been going to these pools for years and years and years because at the time they believed that as the waters got stirred up, if you could get into the water, you get healed. And that's all this guy wanted. 
all right? But he could never get to the water because he's paralyzed. So Jesus rocks up one day on the Sabbath, and in his love and his mercy, he heals this guy. And this guy jumps up, picks up his bed, starts walking. The Pharisees look at this and don't go, wow, that guy got healed. They're like, it's the Sabbath. How dare Jesus heal on the Sabbath, all right? So they take it to him, and they start accusing him of breaking the law and that he's, you know, he's working on the Sabbath. So where we pick it up in verse 17 is Jesus' response to them. All right? And Jesus says, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. All right, so, so when Jesus asked his disciples to call God their father, it's like a big deal, right? But, but what was the deal? I mean, what was Jesus doing? Was Jesus being a rebel? Like, let's just go against the status quo, guys. Who's with me? Or was he being progressive and saying, you know, we've got to adjust for the times. You know, that was old school. This is now. Or was he revealing a truth? Okay. So again, we're going we're gonna to turn to Scripture to answer that question. I mentioned to you that I found two references to God being referred to as Father in the Old Testament, then being in Jeremiah. So I'd like you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 3, and we're going to be reading from verse 19. So these are God's words. You remember at the time that God would speak through his prophets, okay? So these are God's words through the prophet Jeremiah, and God is speaking to the nation of Israel. And he says, I said, how I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, a heritage most beautiful of all nations. And I thought you would call me my father and would not turn from following me. Do you guys see that? God's talking to, to his sons. He said, I, I wanted you to be my sons. I set you guys up, I made you a beautiful nation, I gave you this beautiful heritage, and, and my heart just longed that you would call me my father, but you, but you turned away from me. So Jesus was not being a rebel, Jesus was not being otherwise. He was re- revealing the father's heart, okay, so in line with scripture, so in line with God's purposes and plans. So if you make your notes, that's point number one, God is our Father, okay, our Father. So what? I've got a Father, you've got a Father, she's got a Father, some of us have got more than one Fathers. Yeah, we've got Fathers all over the place, so God's our Father. What does that mean? You know, if you speak to my wife and you ask her about her Father, she'll tell you that her Father was close to perfect, right? Now, I know this because she's pointed it out to me. <laughs> when I haven't quite reached the standard, okay? No, but I'm just kidding. My, my point is, maybe she has, but my point is that her connotation of a father is a really positive one. If you go to Miriam and say, tell me about your father, she'll say, oh, my father's a good man. He's a kind man. He's patient. I've never heard him raise his voice. That's the kind of stuff she says about her dad, okay? But if you came to me a couple of years ago and said, Tell me about your father. I tell you that I was incredibly fearful of my father. My father was an incredibly strict disciplinarian, and boy, did you need to toe the line, all right? 
So I feared him. And I shared a story in the, in the first service. I've got a different one for you now, okay? <laughs> that my wife actually reminded me about. So we were in Belito, and my dad had bought this bag of wood that he wanted to use for the bride. And I guess the logs were too big for his liking. So he decided he was going to split the logs, okay? But all he had was a panga. So he's outside, and he's splitting these logs, and he's splitting these logs, and I see him, and I've come out from the beach. And uh, my dad calls me, he says, hey, son, come over here, come over here. Hold that log for me, because I guess the thing was falling over, didn't have anything to hold it. So I'm like, okay. So I hold this log, and I see he's got this massive blade in his hand. I'm like, what the heck? You know? So I'm like, I'm holding it, you know, <laughs> trying to get away from this log. And my dad takes a swing like, like he's going to hit this thing with everything he's got. And I remember in the moment, because I thought he was just about to swing it, and my eyes were closed, and I was, my whole body was recoiling and pulling away, but my hand just stayed on that log. You know, in the moment, my dad, he stopped. He was just playing a joke with me. And he stopped and he grabbed me and he gave me a hug and he's like, oh, my boy, you trust me so much. And you're so pleased. And if he had known that the only thing that kept my hand on that log was that I was so fearful that if I'd let go, then maybe, maybe he would use the panga. No, no, he wasn't that bad, guys. Okay? But, but yeah, so, so my connotation was a very different connotation to what Miriam had. You know, and some of you guys have, have heard my, my testimony, um, but at the age of 14, my father's murdered. And so in that crisis, in that time of need, instead of me running to my father in heaven, instead I, I ran away. Because I think, if I think about it now, I think in my mind, God was the lawmaker and my dad was the enforcer, okay? <laughs> like maybe it wasn't a conscious thought then, but when I think about it now, you know, I ran. But ironically, that journey kind of led me on this path that led me back to God. Because I had this gap, I had this void in my life, I had lost my father. And I remember one day very clearly, just saying a simple little prayer. And I said, God, I don't have a father. Would you be my father? And um, I don't know why I choke up every time I say it, but it was such a beautiful thing because God did just that. He did just that. He, he did more than fill that gap. He became this amazing heavenly father, better than any father I ever could have wished for or imagined. Okay? And he restored my relationship to my earthly father, even in his absence. You know, I just mentioned that I didn't remember that story. Um, you know, I have the head knowledge of some of the hard that I went through with my dad. But it's not my memory of him. God's like completely transformed that. But my brother, not so much. But when I think of my dad, I think good thoughts. I love him. I can't wait to see him in heaven one day, you know? And so that was that restoration that God, my father, brought to me. And, you know, I don't know where I would have been if not for that. But what I do know is that even in the death of my father, God makes all things work out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I just love seeing his faithfulness in that. All right. So... I've completely lost track of my notes. <laughs> Got ahead of myself there. But um, so what I want to reveal now through Scripture is what type of father is God? Okay, so we've, we've ascertained that God is our father. Jesus made that clear. But what type of father is it? So if you turn to Matthew 7, um, we're going to be reading from verse 7. Jesus actually speaks directly into this point. Okay, Now, remember, the Lord's prayer that he gives us is in Matthew chapter 6. 
So this is shortly afterwards where Jesus starts to reveal the nature of God the Father. And so from verse 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, we all think of that about, you know, God answers our prayers. But it goes on. It says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And that sounds like a pretty good dad in my books. You guys agree? Yeah, yeah an awesome dad. But you might be sitting there thinking like, okay, cool, that, that's nice. But maybe that's only true for the good children. Like, you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've been up to. So, so maybe it's good gifts for good children, but then like Santa Claus... It's coal for the bad children, or worse, brimstone, okay? So, valid question. Let's turn to Scripture again. Let's look at that. Let's see what Jesus says about that. So, we're going to be turning to Luke chapter 15. Uh, You guys might recognize a reference. It is the chapter in the Bible that teaches us or talks to us in parables, one of them being the story of the prodigal son. You guys know it? At least I've got a yeah. Who knows the story? Okay, it's still a weak response. I'm going to tell you about it anyway. Okay. (laughs) All right, so the prodigal son, in a nutshell, there's this really wealthy, good father, and he's got two sons, right? And the younger son reckons he's had enough of living under his father's rule. He wants to go make his own life out. So he goes to the father. He says, listen, Dad, I'm done here. I want to go live my own life. Give me what's due to me. Give me my inheritance, half of all you have, and I'm off. All right? And the father gives it to him. He says, all right, my son. Maybe the father knew, but gives him the inheritance, and off this guy goes living a wayward life, a licentious lifestyle, sinning all he could, and just enjoying his inheritance, okay? Except that that joy was very short-lived, because eventually a famine comes on the land, he runs out of money, he loses everything, not only the money, but all the friends that he's acquired, and he's all alone. He's got nothing. He finds a job at some point feeding pigs. And he's in such a bad way that he's looking at this basket of pig food thinking, oh, that looks good. I'm so hungry, I would eat this. And then he comes to his senses and he says, hang on a second. Even the servants at my father's house live better than this. And so he decides he's going to go back. He's going to go back to his father's house and he starts to prepare a little speech that he's going to give to his father. And so this is where we're picking it up. Um, from verse 18 to 23. So he says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, which means he was looking out for him every day, looking, is my son coming home? His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father wasn't even listening. He called out to his servants, and the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and bring a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring a fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. Wow. That's a good father. 
And that is a good father, not just to the good children, but to the bad children, right? That is revealing God's nature, God's character to us. You know, I said in the early service, if, if I was the one translating the Bible and putting all the subheadings, I would not have called this the prodigal son. Because everyone thinks it's a story about the prodigal son. And I don't believe it is. I mean, yes, he's a main character. Sure, there's stuff to learn there. But I think it's easy for us to identify with the kids. It's easy for us to identify with the two sons. But this kind of father, I don't know how many of us have seen this, right? And so if I were to rename or the subheading of this parable, I would have called it the awesome, merciful, forgiving, gracious, generous father. Something like that. It's a work in progress. But you know what I mean. All right? It's a story that shows us God our Father. And what I love so much about the story is that it's not just the grace that the father shows to his son. He says, hey, your son's come home. Cool. All's forgiven. Let's carry on. He not only forgives his son. I mean, he doesn't even mention any of this stuff. But he equips his son. He gives him gifts as he comes home. I mean, what a welcoming after you've done what you've done, right? And so if we read through there, we see there's a couple of things he gives him. Firstly, he gives him a robe. And we know through Scripture, if we let Scripture interpret Scripture, that robe is significant or signifies, rather, the righteousness that is given to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay? Certainly wasn't earned in this guy's life, right? He had failed and he knew it well. And the father says, no, give him the best robe, that robe of righteousness. So that when I look upon him, I don't see the filth. I don't see the mistakes. I don't see his history. I see my righteous son. Okay? Then he gives him a ring. Now, if you understand the culture of that, you'd know that anyone with great authority or power in the culture of the time would have, I guess it would be called a signatory ring. Okay? So it had a very specific emblem on it, probably like a family, what do you call it? Crescent, Crescent or something like that. And if he ever sent out a letter or an order or a command or anything like that, that letter would be sealed with wax, and then that family crescent would be the final touch. So whoever received that would know this is not just a letter. This comes with authority. Okay? And on the first day, it's not like, okay, buddy, you've got to pay for your mistakes and work your way up the ranks. On the first day, his father says, put a ring on his finger. Give him authority as my son, okay? What does that authority look like? I wanted to touch base on that real quick. So if we go to Matthew 10, we see, again, this is shortly after. We, we kind of go in Matthew from, from the Lord's Prayer to the character of God, and now Jesus given authority to his disciples. And he calls them together, and it says here that Jesus gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. That is some of that authority that we're given. But you might say, well, hang on, Chris. Check your theology. That was for the disciples. That was for them. That was to reveal Jesus, etc. And so it's a fair comment because it is about the disciples there. But if we go to John chapter 14, verses 12, Jesus says these words. And he says, truly, truly, like a double truly. It's not just true. It's truly, truly. Okay? I say to you, whoever, whoever, that means you and me, anyone, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Wow. Jesus carried authority on this earth. We read about it all the time. 
in how he related to people, in how he healed people, in how he loved on people, in how he spoke into people's lives. Authority looks like so many different ways, and we've been given that. We get to do those things and greater things because of the authority that our Father has given us. All right, moving on. The shoes. That was the third thing that the Father gives him, gives him shoes. Now, I had to do some research on this one because I didn't quite get it, okay? But apparently, in the culture of the day, shoes were not given to servants or slaves. So when the father says, get me some shoes to put on my son's feet, he's not just saying, shame, he's barefoot. He's saying, I'm putting shoes on your feet because you are not a servant. You are not a slave. I don't care what you've done and your little speech that you had for me. Wear these shoes and walk it out as my son. Walk in your identity as my son. That is the lift of the shoes. And then lastly, the father throws a party. Gets a fat calves, has a huge celebration. And I think, you know, that is a paramount thing because when we look in, in, the, in our text of Luke 15, there are three parables there. And you might know them. One is about a lost sheep. One is about a lost coin. And one is about a lost son. And every single parable that Jesus gives here, speaking about the father, ends in a party when that lost thing is found. And that is true for every single one of us who have come to the Father. Heaven has a party for every single one. Who wants more parties in heaven? Yeah. All righty. So point number two, point number one, God is our Father. Point number two, God is a good Father. All right. So we've covered the first two words of my text, okay? Our God who art in heaven. So let's, let's look at that who art in heaven. So as I mentioned earlier, it is more than just an address. It's more than John who art in North Riding or um, Sia Colossi who art in France now. Go figure. Okay. Or the most powerful man in the world, whoever that might be, Joe Biden who art in Washington, D.C. It is more than that. It is our Father who is in heaven, the creator of heaven and earth, who is above all. Right? So what does that speak about? It speaks about authority. And that's what Jesus brings to the table right off the bat. He says, listen, when you pray, understand who you're praying to. You're praying to this good, loving Father who you can have this intimate relationship with. Just little old you. You get to pray to the Father like that. But also understand that this Father is above all. He's all-powerful. Jesus introduced the Father as Jehovah Elohim, God our Father, and Al Shaddai, God the Almighty, in five little words. Okay? This is deep, deep, rich text. But why, do you, why does Jesus do that when he's teaching his disciples how to pray? I had to think about it, and I thought about my wife again. She's always on my mind. I would break into song right now, but I can't sing. <laughs> you know, when Miriam wants a big rock to be moved in the garden, and there's a lot of flipping rocks in my garden. And I don't know why she wants to move them all the time, but she does, okay? She likes but, to see you. <laughs> but she asks me, or my son, Mark, okay? Because she knows our strengths. But when she wants to hear beautiful music being played on the piano, she asks my daughter, Faith, because she knows that Faith has the ability. And when she wants cuddles and kind words and just some intimate time, she goes to Michael because it's in his nature. He loves to do it. All right? 
we need to know God. We need to know his abilities. We need to know his natures. We need to know his strengths before we can come to him with anything, right? And I believe that is why Jesus starts off with those very powerful five words. And he wants us to know that everything is under his authority. He's above it all. So we can come to him with our big stuff, and we can come to him with our little stuff. He's above it all. He can handle all of it. There's nothing that we've got to hold back and be like, ooh, don't know if I can bring that to the table. Everything gets to come to the table because of who he is, right? So that is my third point. God is able and God is powerful. All right, so as you know, this series is about prayer. And up until now, all I've been focusing on is the identity of God, right? And like I said, that's important. We need to know about that. And I think everything that I've mentioned right now, God is our Father, uh, God is good, God is powerful. Speak to any Christian, I think almost all of us will agree with us. So yeah, absolutely, good job, Chris. Good, solid truths. We can meditate on that. We all agree on that. And that's fantastic. And yet, I have brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm one of them sometimes, where I believe this truth, and yet... I don't always live like those things are true. Or I don't always pray like those things are true. And so, even in knowing these truths, I don't always receive the fruit of these truths. How are you thinking, like, well, why why is that? You know, what's, what's the deal there? And I thought to myself, we have sometimes an easier... Um, an easy understanding that God has given himself to us as a father, but it's harder for us to accept that we are his children. And just as a quick note here, guys, a wonderful lady that I love in this church came to me after the first service. She just remember, we're not only his sons, we're his daughters too. So you know how that's been a contract. Like anytime I refer to son, I'm referring to daughter too. Let me just put that out there. We are his children, we are his sons, and we are his daughters. But there's an identity that we that we have to accept, that we have to believe in. Because if we don't, it changes our relationship with God. Okay? God wants us to know that we are his children. Okay? And I, I can validate that for you guys. So if we go to Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 15, it says there, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Right, so there it is right there. But there's something else I wanted to point out to you there. It says there that we are adopted as children of God. We are adopted as sons and daughters. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, when we have kids... You get what you get, right? <laughs> Whatever God decides to give you, well, yeah, deal with that. You got that. There's no return policy on our kids. So if you want a girl and you got a boy, well, that's what you got, okay? But think about adoption. In adoption, you get to choose. What do you want, boy or girl? Well, I think I'll go with the boy or I'll go with the girl, right? You get to choose. So when the scripture says that we are adopted as son, it's not a second-class child, It is God saying, I choose you. I want you. 
You're special. Be my child. Be part of my family. Be a co-heir with Christ, as Scripture says. It's not second rate. Okay? Adopted as children. There's another scripture in 1 John, chapter 3, verse 1, which speaks about this. Like, why, why, why would God do that? Why would he adopt us as his children? 1 John, chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. That is God demonstrating his love. So if you can believe that God loves you, then you need to receive that love and receive that identity as an adopted child of God and cohere with Christ, okay? So that is my point number four, guys. We are children of God. So when we look at this first line of the Lord's Prayer, what is it that Jesus is saying to us? This is his introductory line into how we should pray. Is he telling us what to say or how we should pray and in what identity we should pray? And I believe that what God is saying is saying, as a child of God, you can walk confidently into the throne room of God and lay your everything before him. Confidently. Why? Not only because he's a good father, because you're his kid. Walking confidently. That's the kind of intimacy, that's the kind of relationship that you should and can have with Father God, okay? He's that Father who when you walk into that throne room confidently, he doesn't be like, where have you been? What have you spent your inheritance on? What mistakes have you done? What sins have you done? Where did you fall short? No. Some translation says that he falls on your neck to kiss you and embrace you and welcome you in, to clothe you with a robe of righteousness, to give you a ring of authority, to give you shoes that's the right to be a child of God. That is the God that we get to walk into when we write confidently to his throne room. So what does that look like in prayer? Well, Jesus gives us an example of that as well. Jesus was teaching his disciples. Now understand that when Jesus was teaching his disciples, this was before the cross. So a lot of the promises that God has for us is because of what Jesus did on the cross. So Jesus speaks to them here in John 16, if you want to go there quickly. We're going to be reading from verses 23 to 24 and then 26 to 27. So it says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, because it's before the cross. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. And again he says, in that day you will ask in my name. It's, it was a day to come, but it's a day that we live in today, on this side of the cross. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. I do not say that as the Son of God, I will ask the Father. He says, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Did you guys catch that? That is so awesome. He's saying that we get to ask God as children directly. Why? Because we love Jesus. Because we've accepted what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Because we've received our forgiveness. Because we've accepted our identity as children of God. We get to go to God directly. And the Bible speaks about this, right? That veil 
that separated man from God at the time that Jesus died on the cross was torn in two by a great earthquake and made that possible. Okay? That is what it means. That is what it looks like in prayer. We have that direct, intimate relationship with our Father in heaven. You know, guys, if you, if you ever question whether or not God hears your prayers, and we've all been there, guys, we've all been there where we think like, yeah, I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying. And God said, wait. Or he said, maybe. Or he said, no. I don't know. He's a good God. But if you ever question, does he hear my prayers? The answer's here. He, he hears them. And if you, if you don't think he does, if there's any doubt in your mind, then, then I would encourage you to start reading the scriptures and focusing on his love. Understand how much he loves you because a good, loving father will hear his children. He'll never be closed off to you. And so I encourage you guys to, to really let that sink in. Let that sink in that it's because of his love that we can be called children and it's because of that identity that we can go to him confidently in prayer. So if it's okay with you guys, I'd like to pray into that a little bit. Okay? And there's, there's two groups of people you know, that, that I'd like to pray. And I, I don't know who's here, and I'm not trying to embarrass anyone. I'm not going to make anyone put up their hands or come to the front. But if there's anyone here today that is like, you know what? I've never really received Jesus as my Lord. So all the stuff you're saying sounds really good, but it's all foreign to me. Then I want to give anyone here that opportunity to let Jesus into their lives, let Jesus into their hearts, and, and give their life to the Lord. And then the second group of people that I want to pray for is perhaps anyone who's living a life much like that youngest son did in the story of the prodigal child. Anyone here who's, who's thinking, that's cool, I'll, I'll go back to my father, I know he's my father, I know he's my son, but, but I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to live out this life of sonship or daughtership. I, I want to work. Make me a servant rather. Let me earn my keep. Let me earn any gifts that you may have for me. Let me earn my food. And let me rather just be as like a hired servant. Okay? Jesus himself said, I no longer call you servants, but friends. Okay? So if there's anyone living in that space, that is a second group I'd like to pray for. That everything that I've spoken about now will just hit the target. I really feel like the Holy Spirit is, is working within our church and the church in this regard. Jesus wants his church back. And I, and I know that he's doing his work. It's got nothing to do with anything I say up here. But I just want to pray into that, guys. So if we can, all heads, bows, eyes closed. And I'm just going to pray into that. And if you fall into any one of those two groups, then, then you can pray in your heart because it's, remember, it's, it's, it's you. It's you having personal access and intimacy with the Father and the Lord. So if there's anyone in that first group I mentioned, and you just want to say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done for me. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you did come to die on the cross for my sins so that I could be considered righteous, that I could become a child of God. Come into my life, be Lord and Savior of my life, and walk this journey with me as I learn more and more about you. And I give my life to you, who will only do good, great, and wonderful things with it. And if there's anyone here who just feels like they just, 
They just can't live out that identity of being a son. They just feel like they always need to earn God's favor, that they always need to pay for their sins, and they don't accept that full payment that Christ gave on the cross. He's just praying to that. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all the wonderful gifts that Jesus made available to us on the cross of Calvary. Thank you that I do wear a robe of righteousness, that when God looks at me, he sees that. He sees the blood of Jesus. He sees me washed clean. He sees me as a son and co with Christ. Help me to live as your son, not just for my benefit, but for the benefit of this world around me. You've given me your authority through your Holy Spirit, and I pray, Lord, that I use that authority to bring glory to you in the words that I say, in the relationships that I have with the people around me, in the prayers that I pray. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit has given me authority, and I get to walk with that authority as a child of God to bring glory to your name in everything that I do say, think. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're asking yourself, how can I take this further? You can start by going on our website. There you can access all our previous sermons, our banking details, get in contact with us, or just find out about who we are. If you consider yourself as part of Center Church, we want to thank you for your ongoing support and your continuous partnership. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful day.